Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. Every seven weeks, we take a break from recording, but we've queued up an episode on getting into the meteor parts of the Word that we think you'll find helpful. And speaking of getting into the Word, it's still a great time to join us as we read through the New Testament, starting in Luke. Go to BibleGeeks.fm slash into the book for more on that, and tune in next week as we dive into the readings for week three. But until then, here's a reminder not to skip those spiritual leg days. The dude at the gym who's like always working on his biceps. He's got amazing pecs, but like he's never worked on his legs at all a day in his life. Tiny toothpick legs. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 33. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking about digging into the protein-packed power of the word, (laughs) looking at cultivating carnivorous Christianity. Those are a lot of alliterations there. (laughs) Really, we're talking about getting into maturity. But before we get into that, we've got a Jesus Said segment this week, and you have a verse for me? I do. So we're going to start at... Mark 8 and verse 14, and kind of the clincher for the thing that we want to talk about is at the end of this passage in verse 20, but let's set it up. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So what do you think? This is again one of those times where Jesus says something very plainly, which we from sort of a spiritual mindset, looking back to it, it seems so obvious exactly (laughs) what he's talking about. But you can really understand why they are confused by this because they don't have the benefit of hindsight like we do. They don't have all of the revealed word. They're living in the moment. And so when Jesus starts talking about bread, I think they would be really foolish probably to be automatically jumping to some deeper meaning of the word bread. Most of the time when Jesus is speaking to them, he's telling them to do things. He's explaining things. I guess I don't necessarily fault them for not understanding here. We have all the red letter words of these profound insights, he said. But you're right. There's probably a lot of times that he says, hey, did you get any bread? (laughs) at the store the other day or did you you know whenever we left martha's house did you bring anything luke's account goes one step further in what he says here he says beware of the leaven of the pharisees which is hypocrisy so that's not exactly brought out here in mark but that picture of the pharisees and the way that they lived what they did they talked a good game they said the right things but they didn't live it and they weren't practicing it And Jesus's warning to his disciples here is don't become like them. Don't be influenced by them to the point where you are going to just say good things, but live contrary to what you're actually teaching. And what a great message. I mean, that's something we all need to think about, something we all need to learn and listen to. But then 
you kind of view them as children here. Mm -hmm. And I think rightly so. Jesus knows that he's leading his disciples out of infancy into maturity, into adulthood. And so he's having to work with them. He's having to lead them through these simple viewpoints of the world into something more complex. But he does kind of seem a little bit frustrated with them, doesn't he? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, maybe he's showing them some frustration to prod them on. He's very patient with them, but sometimes we need to hear that disappointment, that sense that we should be further along. So we need that shove. Yeah, and the questions that he asks here, do you not yet perceive or understand? Like, don't you get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could say that today, and Jesus is kind of saying the same thing. Like, don't you see what's going on? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Think about this, guys. You should know better by now. You should know that I'm not talking about loaves of bread here i'm talking about something more deep than that Mm -hmm. and he doesn't just give them a pass like oh yeah you guys don't understand let me explain it in more detail he's expecting them as his disciples who know him who've seen all the things that he's done so far all the teaching that he's offered they should know better and so he has an expectation for them and i i like what you said about having that expectation that they would know more than they currently do and the disappointment that comes with that you guys are still babies basically. Yeah, you're not where you should be. And we need to know when we should be further along at this point, you know, and he actually asked them, are your hearts hardened? Is there something in you that's keeping you from understanding the things that you've seen and heard from me? Because you have eyes, you have ears, but you're not hearing, you're not seeing what you should see. And if his disciples, the people that he's giving the most attention to after he's gone they are the link to his teachings Mm -hmm. they are going to bring this from this little movement in judea and galilee to the world and start to really build momentum and bringing it to the world and and so he needs them to get this and he knows exactly where they are and he wants them to know you need to step it up yeah and i don't really understand completely why in verse 19 maybe i don't yet understand but why in verse 19 he goes and and references back to the times when he miraculously multiplied bread and fish he says when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up well on the one level it seems to be addressing this question they had that they had no bread like that's the thing they should be worried about when they have the magical bread maker with them. You know, I mean, you have this one who created bread and who can multiply bread whenever he wants. That's not worth worrying about. Sure. And to the greater point that like he talks about in, in Matthew six, this is not the thing that you should be anxious about. Right. You should be seeking the kingdom and all those other things are going to be taken care of. So I don't think he's referring back to his original statement about the leaven of the Pharisees, although they are stuck in their unbelief as well. And here the disciples are seeing these signs And they should be beyond that unbelief, beyond that hardness of heart to start to get the deeper truths he's trying to get across. Do you not yet understand? That makes a lot of sense that he's really saying, hey, move beyond the physical stuff, move beyond 
the basic way of viewing things because I'm able to do this and you know I can do this. The magical bread maker. (laughs) He is basically telling them again, quit worrying about all the basic stuff. And I think we would all do well to remember that because sometimes we can get in the weeds and even in our Bible study, get off on tangents, studying things, trying to prove a point or trying to prove ourselves right. Really missing the forest for the trees, really not stepping back and seeing what is this great book all about and what is the message that it's trying to convey to us. You know, you can kind of go two ways with that, where we sometimes in our Bible study, we just get all into these abstract ideas and miss that connection to our lives. And sometimes then we only have patience for, well, what does this have to do with what I'm living right now? And don't engage the bigger ideas that are more difficult and more abstract and have to be wrestled with, which will, you know, as we start to get to that bigger picture understanding, then that will have a tremendous impact on your day to day life. So we need both. We need to work to understand and do the work of then constantly practicing and living those things. Well, on that topic, let's get into our first segment and We're going to talk in this conversation about growth. We're going to answer a question that we got over email from one of our listeners, Jeff. How can I become a meat-eating Bible student? And the second part of the question was, are there specific topics, passages, Bible books, etc., that you would say are good for meat eaters? And in the vein of moving beyond the basic understanding into what Jesus really wants us to get into, that's a good question for us as we're trying to think about becoming more mature and more discerning in the way that we live. Yeah, it's a really good question because the Hebrew writer, whoever that is, is saying you should be kind of like Jesus somewhere ahead. And here you are stuck in this place of immaturity, not understanding all the things you should know. So it makes me ask, well, how do I move forward? Have you ever gone to the doctor with your kid, to the pediatrician? They give you the measurements and they say, well, you're there. The kid is in the 90 percentile. This kid has a massive head. He's in the 90 <laughs> percentile in the head size, but their weight is down for right. a child this age. And There's a particular curve that they want the child to be on, a growth trajectory. And everybody's different spiritually, just like we're all different physically, and we're going to have ups and downs. But sometimes you can really get derailed and not be where you should be for your age, (laughs) your spiritual age. And that's, I think, what the Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. In verse 11, he kind of sets it up. By Mm -hmm. saying about this, which we can talk about in more detail what the this is, but Mm -hmm. says about this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Yeah. So that in a similar sense of what Jesus was saying to his disciples, you're hard hearted. You can't hear. You've got ears, but you're dull of hearing. You're not hearing things as clearly as you need to. And that really is the problem because they're not listening well enough. And it reminds me, not to jump tracks too far here, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's kind of what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, in a sense. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. You should be more mature than you are right now. 
And I can't tell you the things I need to tell you because you're still babies. You're still infants in the fleshly things that you're all wrapped up in. Yeah, I mean, just to camp on that as the first point that you just brought up, the dull of hearing in verse 11, I think that's the first part of the answer to Jeff's question. You know, how do we become a meat-eating Bible student? Well, the first part, you know, if you just go step-by-step through this passage from chapter 5, verse 11, down through the middle of chapter 6, you see he's giving markers of those who aren't where they should be and those who are. Mm -hmm. And that's the first one is dull of hearing. So what does it mean to be dull of hearing? You could be dull of hearing for a lot of different reasons. You might be disinterested. You might not be interested in really deep spiritual things or dealing with application or thinking through a meaty subject. Mm -hmm. And so interest is part of it. The scratching the surface idea, I think, is part of the problem about being dull of hearing. Mm. When you look at a passage, wherever you're studying in the Bible and you just skim over it, glance over it, don't dig into any depth into it. Don't Mm -hmm. really investigate it in the way that you need to to walk away with a complete understanding of what's being said. Then, yeah, you're dull of hearing in that case. And specifically in Hebrews chapter five, he's getting into this conversation about God making Jesus a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. Well, who's Melchizedek, right? As a Hebrew audience, they should have known who Melchizedek was, even though Melchizedek is really only mentioned very briefly in the Bible. Yeah. Two verses, (laughs) one in Psalms and one in Genesis. And these two passages are are all you have about him. And yet the Hebrew writer is going to build a huge theological construct around it. I mean, he's going to show a million points of connection here between Christ and Melchizedek in the way that his birth and his ancestry and his descendants are not connected in the way that the psalm speaks of him reigning forever in the way that he is a precursor of the levitical priesthood and yet he's going to continue and all of these different connections he's going to build and this idea of an eternal reign he's going to really dig into this mm-hmm. which is a different way to study the bible Right. If you're not trained in that, which is the next piece of this in verse 13, he says those who are unskilled in the word, those who don't have not only an understanding of various parts of scripture, but a skill in how to handle the word and how to make these connections and how to think more deeply, how to think about shadows and types and antitypes, how to think about what God is doing in each different kind of literature, just like anything else, just like watercolor painting or engineering or anything else. It is a skill that has to be learned and developed. And he says those who are unskilled in the word are going to only be able to handle milk. But as we develop the skill of rightly dividing the word, Slowly, piece by piece, skill by skill, we develop the ability to handle that meat. I find it really interesting, the contrast between Hebrews and that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because it's dependent on the audience. The Hebrews, well, they used to be Jews. Well, they still are Jews, but Jewish Christians, they should have known the law. Now, Paul, when he's addressing the Corinthians, he doesn't chastise them maybe in the same way for not knowing the old law. He's chastising them for practicing sin, which is a big problem. So on one hand, you have these people 
based on their background, should be at a certain level. And then with the Corinthians, it's not the same expectation that they should know the law. It's based on where we are, who we are, and what are we lacking? What are we missing? Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to be dependent on how we receive the Spirit of God, how we receive what the Spirit is teaching us, how we respond to Him as opposed to being led by something else. Let's dig into this passage you're talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. I think you have to go back to the verses right before chapter 3, verse 1 that you Mm -hmm. cited. Let me just read this, chapter 2, verses 11 to 16 of 1 Corinthians. It distinguishes two kinds of people, the natural person and the spiritual person. And so he says in verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words. It's not just zapped into us by the Spirit of God. He says we're imparting these things we have come to understand and receive from the Spirit of God through words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So who is a spiritual person? The person led by the Spirit of God and the words that the Spirit has taught us. The natural person, verse 14, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through the Spirit of God. And how do we have the Spirit of God? By the truth that the Spirit has imparted to us through spiritual words. And by receiving that Spirit, He's present with us. He's living in us. And so then Christ is living in us. And His mind, the way Jesus thinks, is guiding the way we think. The person who thinks basely just like a human, almost like an animal, who has that basic living force that naturally inhabits us. Oh, he's talking about bread. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So who's thinking, oh, I didn't get anything to eat today. Instead of thinking, what is it that would lead me to be a hypocrite like the Pharisees are right now? That's the distinction. But we have to learn to think like not a normal person (laughs) because a normal person thinks naturally. We have to think beyond naturally, supernaturally, I guess you could say, by the spirit of God, by seeing, perceiving spiritual truths that only the spirit of God reveals. We have to want it and seek it and be hungering and thirsting for him and the things that he has to reveal to us. How do I become a meat-eating Bible student really is just a, a shift in your perspective, a shift in your mindset, thinking about not the basic stuff, not the surface scratching stuff, but you've got to be a deep investigator of what Jesus, what God is really trying to tell us and what he really wants us to do in our lives. And that is not a normal thing because when you read something which is, I think, why Jesus spoke in parables so often, was he was allowing people to miss the deeper spiritual meaning Mm -hmm. if they didn't have the right mindset. Yeah, I mean, the context of this passage in Corinthians that we just read is he's just talked, starting in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 2, about 
the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the world. Mm -hmm. I have a whole lesson series I did years ago that I called Hidden in Plain Sight. There's all these passages that talk about, just like you said about Jesus with his parables, talk about how God reveals the truth. And what he does is he doesn't try to keep it from certain people and give it to others. He hides it in plain sight so that if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Yeah, it's right there, but it's so easy to just look past. So what are some specific topics and passages, Bible books, etc., mm-hmm. that you would say are good for mediators? I think we need to step back when thinking about this question, because I could very easily say, well, X, Y, Z are exactly the things that we all need to dig into to become more mature. Mm. But in the contrast between Hebrews and Corinthians, the solution for maturity in both of those cases were two different things. Mm. For the Corinthians, it was live a different way. And for the Hebrews, it was study a different way, view the word a different way. Yeah. And even with the Hebrews, what he's trying to build to, if you keep reading through chapter six, is he wants them to endure in hope, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 12, and not be sluggish, but keep going and imitate those who will inherit the promises through faith and patience. So it's always all of the great and deep truths are trying to bring us not to some intellectual heights, but to this living height of relationship with God and transformation. And you can't separate the ideas and the living. But to your point, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So and probably even amongst the Hebrews and the Corinthians for each one, there's something specific and different that would be a next step or the place they should go. There's a lot of different ways to mature And we each kind of have to find where we maybe are becoming stagnant in our growth. Yeah. And I like that analogy you gave about the kid at the pediatrician, right? Because, you know, maybe your kid has a massive head. It's like a planet. (laughs) It's like a planet. (laughs) But maybe they're not putting on weight like they should. And so their remedy for that situation is going to be very different than somebody who might have a different growth problem. And so... To answer this question really kind of depends on where you are. Yeah. But I think a really great place to start, especially when you're talking about practical kinds of issues, for me is Proverbs. I love Proverbs. Mm -hmm. Just the basic truths there about living with humility, living in relation to our money, living in relation to our neighbors. I mean, all of the topics that are covered in Proverbs is just so deep and meaningful for the way that we live our lives. I love studying through Proverbs, and I think somebody who's really wanting to investigate what they're doing might do well to start there. James is kind of the Proverbs of the New Testament, too. Oh, for sure. Ironically, those are places we often start with new Christians because they're fairly easy to understand, but they take a lifetime to apply. The Sermon on the Mount is another thing like that, that Mm -hmm. it's just challenging you at whatever place you are in your life. It is meat to live this stuff. It's not necessarily meat like Melchizedek to understand it, but to live it, it absolutely is. And so you're constantly finding new ground in those kinds of studies. It's not like we have to go tackle the most challenging topic in order to become more mature. (laughs) Yeah. There is value in studying apocalyptic literature and all of the other things. That is part of a mature Christian's toolbox. 
but people are dying to get into it so yeah. early. And, you know, I get so many people whenever you ask them, hey, what do you want to study next? And you're just like, maybe they're just newly converted or you're trying to convert them and you're studying through and they're like, well, I want to study Revelation or, you know, I was reading through Ezekiel the other day and <laughs> it's like, okay. That's great. We can get into that. And it's so rich, like you're saying, but let's lay a foundation first. And that foundation in places like Proverbs and Sermon on the Mount and James, like you talked about, that foundation is always a place to go back to and draw more value on when you've lived a while. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the power of those books for me. Oh, yeah. Those books are about maturity. They're about coming to greater heights of wisdom. And one of the keys in skillfully handling the word is to live it on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is what he says in Hebrews 5.14, you constantly are training yourself and being trained to discern right from wrong and make those decisions that keep heightening the level of difficulty all the time in deciding, okay, what is the right thing here? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not exactly clear. You're dealing with principles, lots of principles that have to be applied in the day-to-day -day living. I'm leading a money class right now on possessions and both with how the church handles finances, but also the way we handle individually our finances. There's not a clear-cut rule for every circumstance. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, man, that'd be great. What is rule number 732A <laughs> on this situation? Yeah. I should give 12% to this situation. And it's not like that. So you're taking into yourself, like food, all of these principles. And you're taking from this verse might have three different principles that you are distinguishing and recognizing, okay, I need to know that this is how that's going to apply to this kind of situation and this is how it'll apply to another. And you're going to take all of these and figure out in the midst of all of this where I should land in my decision making. That's practical stuff that takes great maturity and great understanding of the word. Everything takes a little bit of weighing out and judgment and discernment and wisdom the word of God is absolutely true. And there is a right answer to these things. It's just not always obvious. And so that's yeah. where the meat comes in and trying to figure out these situations. But so much of it is these subjects that it would be so nice to just have charted out in clearer. <laughs> <laughs> I want that illustration on page 700 of my Bible of what modesty looks like in a drawing of a man and a woman. But that's not there. It doesn't mean that modesty isn't important. It doesn't mean that it's not clear, but it's written in principles. And so we wrestle with the word and we try to get a clear picture of the principles. And then we start to work out what that means. And so whenever our kids ask about something like this, we just give them a rule and we, we do give a line that the Bible doesn't say. But yeah. then as they mature, we start to say, OK, here's the things you need to think about. And I think that is a good distinction between the old law, which was a schoolmaster or was training the people. If you want to look for every single rule on everything, well, you kind of look back to the old law and you say, well, yeah, there was a lot of rules back there. The new law gives more of a principle-based approach and leaves a lot of liberties up to us about how we choose to 
for example, like what we watch on TV, mm-hmm. what political party we are a part of, what we do with our money, where we're going to work, how we're going to retire. We have to address those things using these principles. And I think it's our challenge. It's our call to really take that on. I think part of this conversation is also how do we teach others to become meat eating students of the Bible? You know, how do we teach our teenagers to start to move from milk to meat? And I used to become frustrated whenever every teen issues book has all of these questions and topics and issues that come up that are real and are important but sometimes they jump to the application and the kind of rule-based thinking instead of really emphasizing these principles and going to the scriptures and saying okay what does lasciviousness mean Let's not jump to talking about making out. Let's talk about lasciviousness. And then we can make, absolutely, you have to make applications. But let's focus on really digging into these words and teach them how to be Bible students. Let's talk about concepts of nakedness and modesty and appropriateness and all of these concepts. And then tell them you have to wrestle with and live a certain way based on these principles and then work out in the discussion. What does this mean? And I think starting from real life issues and then moving into the word and not always just moving from the word to real life issues, moving both ways starts to help them learn to be principle based thinkers, to search the scriptures, to pull out insight and then move from insight to application. I think it's kind of like, show me your work, like on a math test. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I hated that. (laughs) Don't just tell me the answer. I want you to show me how you got to that answer. Yeah, that's good. Maybe that is something that we lack sometimes in our parenting or in, like you said, training those who are going to become mature. We just tell them the answer rather than telling them how we got there. Let me show you why we are making the decision. Let me explain to you the reasoning behind this. And as we open up that thought process to others, then that gives them the tools. It's like the give somebody a fish, they'll eat for a day, teach somebody to fish, they'll eat for a lifetime kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to get others to is teaching them to fish, not just giving them the fish. Yeah. And it really, that's exactly what we're talking about. It makes a huge difference. And that applies to issues in the church and and how do we make decisions about what we have authority to do and hopefully Christians grow to have an interest in those questions and see that if it matters to God then it matters for us to listen and think about it and work through it together we need to teach principles so that everyone can understand and work through difficult questions and not say, "Eh, just trust me on this, trust the elders, they've thought it through all these things. Another thing that's really helpful in terms of building maturity and becoming a meat eater is really seeing the Bible in the way the Bible wants to be seen. Mm. And I think a lot of times we look at passages from Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation, a lot of these apocalyptic kinds of literature, Mm -hmm. and we just say, oh yeah, we know they're there. Maybe even the minor prophets would be a good example of this. But yeah, Mm -hmm. we know they're there. We know basically what they say, but let's move on to the practical stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, why would God have put those 
passages in there if they weren't useful for us. And I think as you move on toward maturity, you know, when was the last time you read through the book of Revelation? When was the last time you read the Minor Prophets or Isaiah or all these other books that maybe we just gloss over or don't think about as often? Kind of in that conversation of Melchizedek, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, he's there, but what is he there for? Why is he there? Why are these other books there? And moving on in our faith, once we've tackled these basic fundamental kinds of issues in our life, we need to go back to those challenging texts that we don't really study that often. Yeah, it's really important because whenever Matthew is writing his gospel, he, like Jesus did when he was saying the things in Matthew, he had read Ezekiel and Daniel, and he's referencing those things. And The Bible is connected in such a unique way. It is a library of individual books that are to be read in their own context, but it is also a whole collection that is holistic and it speaks to itself. You know, it's constantly referencing and making connections from the books of the kings to the prophets to the New Testament all over the place. I did an exercise a couple years ago that really helped me. I probably need to do it again, where I made a list in a notes file on my iPhone of not just books, but also sections of books that I was less familiar with than other sections. Like in the book of Acts, I at the time had a really good handle, I felt like, on like the first 12 chapters of the book Mm -hmm. of Acts. But then once it gets into the missionary journeys and then into Paul's ending, I was less familiar with that last half of the book. Or there's parts of certain gospels that I knew well, but then parts that I knew less. And, And certainly, as you talked about, there were books of the prophets or sections of other books that I just didn't have as good of a handle on. And then I just kind of spent the year diving into those areas that I was less familiar with and just reading through them, studying through them, noting questions and points that came up. And so I I really think there's a lot of value in finding those places where it's so easy once you get a certain amount of information and familiarity with certain pages and sections of the Bible, you have everything you need to do all the sermons you ever want. You know, if you have a third of the Bible to connect with, you've got the book of Proverbs and the book of James, and you've got the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Romans, and you've got these things that you can just go to and you know them and you can be anchored in them. But then you have to kind of leave those things alone for a while Go to the places that are gaps in your understanding and then come back to those things you were familiar with. And it's amazing, as we've talked about many times before, how you didn't understand those books as well as you thought you did, because there are connections to those gaps that really bring out the full, richer meaning. I kind of view it in the mindset of like the dude at the gym who's like always working on his biceps. He's got amazing pecs, but like he's never worked on his legs at all a day in his life. Tiny toothpick legs. Yeah, exactly. I think we need to get into some spiritual leg days. Title for the episode. (laughs) We're really doing a, a holistic view of our spiritual workout where we're building the foundation. We're working on our core. Yeah. But we are also working on those things which might be more visible or might be more practical in our day to day life. But we got to shore up the fundamentals. We can't just focus on one part of it. That's fantastic. That's a just a great metaphor. So true. We need spiritual leg days. 
<laughs> and your spiritual leg days might be different than mine, but finding those places where we have neglected a muscle group and going to work on them. So maybe that's a good challenge. Read a book of the Bible that you haven't studied in depth before. Find some place that you feel like this is a gap in my understanding or a place I need to grow. This is a spiritual leg day for me is to get into this particular book. It doesn't have to be apocalyptic literature. You know, it doesn't have to be something super difficult, but maybe it is. If you have an anchor in those books and passages and truths that are more clear and easier to understand and you feel like there's something that you've been neglecting because it's intimidating. Maybe it's a good time to dive into that. Or maybe there's a more practical passage like Proverbs or the Sermon on the Mount or something like that, that you really feel like I need to go to work studying and applying these difficult, challenging truths to my life. Whatever it is, find that section of scripture or that book and get to work reading it. Mine is the book of Isaiah. Mm. If I'm honest with myself, I can't remember the last time I've read through large sections of Isaiah. So I'm going to take that challenge on this week. Do you have one that comes to mind? Jeremiah. It's the Ooh. longest book in the entire Bible <laughs> in, in word count. I do not have a good sense of the book as a whole. There's like those different chunks that you get. Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to have an opportunity to study that next year, I think. I've been kind of chomping at the bits to get into it. But yeah, so I'll get into reading through that book this week and I'm excited about it now. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode at BibleGeeks.fm slash 33. And don't forget to check out our daily download series. That's at BibleGeeks.fm slash daily. We're also on social media. We're slash the Bible Geeks wherever you might find us. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. <laughs>